Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 4, again in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. And we are working through a series I've titled, Jesus Worldview. A Jesus Worldview, where we look through the lens and the eyes of the Lord Jesus. We look through His life. We look through His story. We're looking through one of His Gospels. And we get to see, um, really, how He dealt with people. How the things that He really wanted to minister and communicate the things that he was very fervent and passionate about. And a lot of times without looking closely at him, we kind of have these ideas about Jesus that aren't always true, simply because we've heard them in the culture or their ideas that we've developed on our own. But when you look closely at him, um, you will see him really cut to the heart of issues over and over. And uh, many times as I reread these stories, I'm shocked by what is really going on in the text. Because again, maybe my mind naturally wants to believe things to be a bit softer or more fluffy or more candy-coated and a bit more lighthearted because we like that as people. But most of the time you'll see Jesus, he really genuinely wants to get to the heart of the issue with people. And that has always been the issue, the matter of the heart. He goes right after it over and over. And today we will see him... Uh, what does ministry look like? We will see him walk back uh, really into a place that no one would think he would go to and dwell in. If you're going to go pick your place of ministry, I guarantee this would not be it. Title of the message today, if you're taking notes, this is sermon number seven in the book of Matthew. It is Jesus, the people's champion. Jesus, the people's champion. I heard of a lawyer and a regular average Joe on a plane together. And they were flying together, and the pilot comes on the speaker and announces that the flight will take up to 16 hours. Like, man, this is long. So the lawyer turns to Joe and says, hey, maybe we should do a little something, have a little game. What do you say? He says, I have a game we can play while we pass the time, and this is how it works. You ask me any questions, and if I can answer it, I'll give you 50 bucks, average Joe. And then I'll get, I get to ask you a question, any question, and if you can't answer it, you give me five bucks. Okay, so I'll give you 50 since I'm a lawyer. Your average Joe, you give me five bucks. And the average Joe says, okay, what has four legs going uphill and three legs at the bottom? And the lawyer thinks for a moment, then reaches in his pocket and hands Joe 50 bucks and says, wow, that was tough. I, I don't know. What does have four legs going uphill and three legs at the bottom? Joe reaches into his pocket and hands him five bucks and says, there's your five. <laughs> uh, that's it. Average Joe somehow wins. Last week, we looked at the temptation of Christ the testing of the Lord Jesus, he had just been baptized. He went from baptism to testing and temptation by Satan himself. We know he passed the test with flying colors and really gave us a template how to overcome temptation and how to endure the testing of God. And it was a beautiful uh, blessing to be able to see the Lord Jesus come through in the end and endure all temptation and reassure us that he is walking with us through temptation, that he has provided a way of escape, and that he will carry us through all testing in life. If you missed a sermon, you can go to our YouTube channel and check it out. It's All of our sermons are up there on the channel and our website. But today, today we will see Jesus go to an average town with average Joes and become the true people's champion. What does it look like to be the real people's champion? I'm not talking about going along with culture and just doing what everybody says. What does it look like to be the real people's champion? What does it look like to be the real people's savior? And we get to see Jesus do that today. He came down from heaven and became one of us. He lived a simple life, but extremely extraordinary life. Our text today in Matthew chapter 4, we will start in verse 12. We're going to read the text together. If you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, you can do so. We always do so to pay honor to Him and remember whose Word we are reading. Matthew chapter 4, 
starting in verse 12. Let's take a look at the text. It says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, they saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord Jesus, through your word, through your story, you would help us to see your ministry. You would help us to see through your eyes. You would help us to see your plan, your will for our lives. We ask that you would speak to us through your living word. By your Holy Spirit, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus, again, has left the wilderness and the temptation of Satan. We don't know how many days have gone by, but Matthew tells us that Jesus gets news that his friend and cousin, John the Baptist, has been arrested. Uh, We see this there in verse 12. Verse 12 also tells us that Jesus withdrew to Galilee. So, He hears John the Baptist has now been arrested. Remember, John the Baptist had just baptized the Lord Jesus. He was in the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey, wearing camel's fur. And John is now thrown in prison um, for his preaching, really for his standing against Herod. And the text tells us that Jesus, finding out about this, he withdraws to Galilee to hide. No, not to hide, to recruit, to recruit. That's why he went to Galilee. The Galilee is a region around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is where Jesus walked on water. The Sea of Galilee is not a sea, but it's a lake. And a lot of people don't know this. It's just a lake, like Lake Lake Tahoe. Yes, it's just a freshwater lake. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by hills, and it kind of is a little valley there. And uh, there are a bunch of towns around it. Um, again, it's, it's a lake with a bunch of cities around it. Little small towns, really. And I've been there, actually, many times. By the grace of God, I've been able to go. And one time, when I was living there in Israel, we stayed there for about four months, uh, me and my buddies uh, decided to sleep on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And actually right by Capernaum, which is here in the text. Capernaum is literally, you can see it from where we're at. It's not very far. We could have walked over there. Um, probably would take, I don't know, two miles maybe to get over there. But we were there on the shore and we built a fire at night and we cooked some food. And we slept through a cold night on the ground in our sleeping bags. And the wind blew hard uh, on the ground. Um, and it was so funny because our car was parked there. And again, this is just, there's just bush around us. There's like, there's sand or whatever it is that the, the water is washing up on. And we were just right there. We just dug a hole. We built a fire. And uh, the guys were getting so cold because the wind was blowing at night. And their sleeping bags were kind of thin. Um, they, I remember they stacked up some of our luggage and tried to block the wind and s- slept on the other side of the car trying to block the wind from going under the car so they had a big wind barrier. I had a zero degree sleeping bag and so I'm literally like, I don't know, I'm like in some shorts, you know, like in my sleeping bag just like, do-do-do, you know, nice and warm, I had my little pillow and I'm sleeping on the shore. But it was super fun and it was fun to wake up to the sunrise on a calm glassy uh, water of the lake 
and it was absolutely beautiful. We wanted to experience what Jesus and his disciples did. They actually were there on those shores. They actually were there in that water. They actually fished those waters. All that took place right there. It's absolutely beautiful. If we go to Israel, come with me. I'll show you exactly where it's at. It was it was super fun. Um, but Jesus went to the Galilee region to live there. And it, again, around a lake, and he stayed in Capernaum, was the, the, the place that he stayed. And the Capernaum remains are actually still there. You can go there. Peter's house is in Capernaum, where he stayed. And uh, there's, I believe, I remember a little synagogue there. And a lot of the remains where Jesus would have walked through and hung out in that area. <clears throat> what you have to know is the Galilee was a Gentile-filled region, not Jews. Though there were Jews there, it was primarily Gentiles. And these weren't city people, okay? They weren't hanging out in Jerusalem by Solomon's temple or by the city of David. They were country people, backwoods, hick types, you know, duck dynasty people, you know, the average Joes of the world, just the average, they're not city, they're just average people, just want to live out in the in the bush and, and, and on the lake and fish and and just go back to their home and just really basic life, okay? Not near the main hub of a city at all. Tiberias City is on the Galilee, but again, um, it wasn't as, as major of a city as Jerusalem, not even close. Um, it was a suburb. It's, it's out in the distance. And so this is where Jesus went. Of all places in Israel, this is where he goes to live and to hang out. Matthew quotes Isaiah 9, verse 1, showing why Jesus went to the Galilee and that he was fulfilling prophecy. Verses 15 and 16, again, Matthew writing, he is quoting Isaiah 9, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, again, Isaiah was writing this, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Wow. Isaiah spoke, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament spoke about the Galilee region and the people there, that a great light would come upon their great darkness and their shadow of death would have a dawn of light. That great light is the Lord Jesus. Matthew is like, look guys, this was talked about in the Old Testament. You guys know the prophet Isaiah. He talked about a great light coming to the Galilee. And here he is, Jesus, in the Galilee being that great light. Matthew has to take note of that. Verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Point number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus went to the average Joe. Jesus went to the average Joe. Jesus went to the Gentile, the outcast of the Jewish land, the non-Jews, and started preaching to them. He went to the average Joe out by the lake, away from the big city, and there he started to preach this message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How is it at hand? The king is here. That's how the, ki the kingdom is at hand. The king is here. And he started preaching to them. Now, I, I was trying to envision this, Jesus walking around uh, the Sea of Galilee into the different towns and just preaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He went to the synagogues. He went into their marketplaces. He went to their little town areas and he just started preaching to them. Really amazing to think through and process. Why did he do this? Why did he go to the average Joe? It's because the Lord is more interested in the broken and humble over the proud and powerful. Let me say that again. The Lord is more interested in the broken and humble than the proud and powerful. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 says, Instead, God shows the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. James chapter 2 verse 5, listen my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who he loves? Yes, who love him? Yes, he has. He has chosen those who are weak and poor in spirit instead of those who are rich and powerful to inherit the kingdom. 
Deuteronomy 7, 7, speaking of Israel in the Old Testament, why did God choose that nation of all nations? Verse 7 says, the Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than any other nation, for you were the smallest of all the nations. That's why he chose you. Because you were the smallest, because you were the least, because there's nothing fabulous about you. God is not impressed with status or riches. He owns it all and is the most powerful in the universe. He is impressed with humility. Psalm 51 verse 16 says, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You take no pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God is more interested in a right heart than a right appearance. He is more interested in a humble spirit and a humble person than a proud and arrogant one. You're proud and arrogant? I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. You're broken and humble and ready? Okay, I have lots of time. You see, when my little Eden, my baby girl, when she comes to me after a timeout, because she did something wrong, I had to go in timeout, when she comes to me in humility and sorrow, as best as a two-year-old can, wanting to give me a hug and reconcile with dad, my heart grows for her. I love to make things right with her and bless her. I love to be gracious and love her because she's broken over her wrong. And though she is a little toddler and baby in my mind, I can see her desiring reconciliation with her father. And this heart and spirit, I cannot despise. I cannot despise it. It's it's beautiful to see little glimpses of that already. She knows when she does something wrong. Eden, you have to go and time out. I'm going to sit her down and time out. And she's sitting there thinking about what's going on. She feels a disconnect from mom or dad during that moment because she's done wrong. And I walk out of the room and I leave her in there. And then she slowly creeps around the corner to come find me. And she wants to give me a hug. And you can see just that her countenance is a bit changed. She's trying to figure out what this reconciliation thing is. And I love the innocence of a child. I love that any little small glimpse of humility, any little small glimpse of a broken spirit before me, her dad. What do I want to do? I don't want to pound her more. I want to pick her up and love her and hug her and tell her, I love you, babe. Thank you so much for making things right. Thank you. Dad, forgive. I love you. It's okay. You're okay. Okay, let's go and have fun. I want full reconciliation. I, get, I, I tell you these glimpses of what I have as a father because I think they're glimpses of what our Father in Heaven wants and desires with us. I'm getting these small spiritual downloads and glimpses of what I've experienced with my Father. After I've sinned before my King and my Father in Heaven, if I come back in arrogance, I don't sense reconciliation, but when I come back in brokenness before Him, I sense and see in His Word a Father who is ready to hug and love his son and say, welcome home. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm just thankful you're here. You're forgiven. It's forgotten. It's okay. But in pride and arrogance, saying, I have done nothing wrong. How can that be forgiven? How can that be dealt with? James 4 verse 6 says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus went to the lowly because their hearts were ready to receive. Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he thinks he doesn't need anything because he's rich. But a dirty, poor sinner can see they have nothing and to have Christ would be the greatest treasure. That's why Jesus didn't go to the rich and powerful and successful. That's not where he went first. He went to the beggar, the leper, the sinner, the prostitute, the tax collector, the average Joe that nobody cares about. It doesn't mean God doesn't save rich, powerful people. He does. But they must first humble themselves before the Almighty King of the universe, the Lord Jesus, and ask for forgiveness. Remember the rich, young ruler? Jesus said, rich, young ruler, you want to follow me? Go sell everything you have. And then come and follow me. And it says that the rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he had many things. Wow. 
He couldn't sell. He couldn't give up. He, he couldn't let go of what he had and grab onto the Lord Jesus. His God was riches and power and success. He wanted that more than he wanted to follow Jesus. I do wonder in the end if the Lord Jesus would have, I don't know, maybe two different scenarios. Number one, He goes to sell everything and the Lord says, hey, don't worry about it. I was just testing your heart. Now go and use your riches to go and bless a lot of people, take care of a lot of people. Follow me around and you're going to take care of families wherever we go. Okay, you're you're going to be my guy. Thank you for wanting to do that. I wonder if second, he would have, second scenario, had the guy sell everything. But then because he sold everything, God blesses him with more wisdom to regain and to gain it in different ways in which to once again be generous and give that away for the kingdom's glory. We see this. We see this all throughout the New Testament. Those who had were just giving and generous and taking care of those who did not. Jesus' worldview. This is Jesus' view on the rich, on status, on power, on all these things. Jesus doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him. You don't get any brownie points in heaven for a bigger bank account. Do you know that? You get nothing. You don't get anything for more status. You don't get anything. All that matters is what's going on in the heart and whether or not you are a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. That is what matters. And more than that, if you don't get the first thing right, none of that even matters that I just talked about stewarding. If you don't get the first thing of faith right in the Lord Jesus, making him Lord and Savior over your life, being forgiven of sin, so you actually have a relationship with him, step one, then we can start talking about step two, whether or not you were a good steward of what was entrusted. This is Jesus' worldview. I wonder where Jesus would go if he was here on the earth today. If he was born in this time, what city would he be born in? Uh, he wouldn't be born in LA, that's for sure. He'd be born out in the outskirts somewhere. You're like, Bakersfield? What? Lord, what are you doing out there? I'm going to find my disciples. No, no, you don't want to find disciples in Bakersfield. The Arch District, downtown LA, really cool. There's some great people. There's some really successful people in Beverly Hills. You should set up camp there, kind of work network and make, make some stuff happen there. That's who you want on your team, Jesus. Like, nah, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to the outskirts. I'm going to go find my guys out there. One of my favorite parables is the treasure hidden in a field. Jesus tells a story, Matthew 13, verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You know that treasure was? It's the Lord Jesus. He finds the Lord Jesus hidden in a field. He says, forget this. I'm giving up everything so that I can buy that field, so I can have the kingdom of God, so I can have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. He is the treasure. He is the pearl of great price, the relationship with God. And when someone finds that treasure, they are willing to give up everything in order to have it. There is nothing on earth that is so necessary as a relationship with the Lord Jesus. He went to the average Joe. Jesus is doing the same today, I'm telling you. Where is your heart, friend? Is it ready to come receive the Lord Jesus as Savior, to become his disciple? What do I have to do? We gotta come low. We need to get down and acknowledge our sin, that we have sinned before him, that we fall short of his glory, that he is the king and we are not. And all that we have has come from Him and that we desperately need Him to forgive us of our sin, to bring us back into relationship with the God who made us. I want to challenge you to do that today, to call on the Lord Jesus to save you from your sin and then to repent of the way you've been living and start following after Jesus with all of your heart. We're going to see a real disciple right before us. Watch what happens. Watch how these men become real disciples. Jesus went to preach the gospel in Galilee But he also went to choose disciples. Take a look. Verse 18, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, there he is, maybe where we slept on the sand, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their net into the sea or into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
He said to them, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Wow. Point number two, if you're taking notes, real disciples of Jesus. Real disciples of Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The first four being called. Here they are, the first four of the twelve. Notice Peter was the first. Peter is the first one called. Then Andrew, mentioned in the text. And then we see James and John, brothers. I want to show you four characteristics of a real disciple of Jesus. Number one, they hear the call of Jesus. They hear his call. Notice, and don't you realize, that not everyone can hear the voice of Jesus. Did you know that? It's amazing. I preach out to the crowd. One person in the crowd hears the voice of Jesus speaking to them and they become his disciple. They hear the words of Jesus, follow me, and they say, forget this, I'm following him. Then the guy over here, he doesn't hear anything. He doesn't hear anything. John chapter 10 verse 27 says this, my sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep, they know my voice, they hear me, I know them, and they follow me. It is almost as if the entire earth has been separated into sheep and goats. Sheeps and goats. The entire earth. And Jesus calls out and the sheep recognize his voice and they follow after him. They wake up on the spot as a sinner and become a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of his. And for some reason, the goat never wakes up. They don't get it. I am shocked by this. I want to shake people to get them to wake up and to believe on the Lord Jesus, but I can't force people to do this. Matthew 13 gives us a bit more insight. Jesus says this in verse 13. He says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Jesus said, Isaiah spoke about this. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But he says, they don't hear. Jesus says many times, let him who has ears, let him hear. You're like, what? I have ears. Why can't I hear? It is amazing. I've seen it in the last 20 years of ministry. I'll look into people's faces and say the exact same gospel and message. And magically the lights turn on for one guy. And the next guy, he just looks at me like a deer in headlights. He doesn't hear anything. Nothing happens for him. I don't know why this is. How do you get ears to hear? How do you get eyes to see? Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. This is one of the characteristics of a disciple. They hear the call of Jesus. Who are the sheep and who are the goats? I don't know. I have no idea who is who on the planet. You know what my job is to do? Pray for people that God would save them. Pray for people that their ears would be open, that their eyes would be open. And then I am to preach to every single person on the planet and let God do the calling of the sheep. The shepherd will call his sheep and they will come to him. That's how it works. Point number two, if you're taking notes of four characteristics of a real disciple, number one, they hear the call of Jesus. Number two, they immediately follow. No hesitation. It says here in the text that when Jesus called these boys, when Jesus called these guys, they're sitting there fishing, hanging out, you know, mending their nets, throwing their stuff out. Hey, it's I. And he starts talking to him. I don't know exactly what he says, but he says to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. Maybe he spoke truth to them. Maybe he 
preach the gospel to them. That's what it said that he was doing, going around preaching the kingdom of heaven is near, repent. He explained the kingdom to them, the gospel to them, and then he says these magic words, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the lights turned on, they throw down their nets, they get out of their boat and they leave everything and start following him immediately with no hesitation. Amazing. It says that they're in both counts that that's exactly what they did. Both Peter and Andrew and James and John. They, the word is immediately. Take a look at your text again. Immediately they left. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus gives a hard saying. He says, Go take up your cross. Go take up the electric chair. Go take up the noose. Go take up a death, really, mechanism, and allow that to be applied to your old old ways. Die to yourself and become a new creation. Follow in my ways. That's what he's calling people to do. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the picture of that. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is a new birth. There is a new creation. There is a denying of self. There is an immediate following of the path of Christ and immediate leaving behind of the old self. I remember this happening to me. Again, I'm, I think I'm around 16 or 17 years old when this happens. I just remember that I had been prayed for, I wanted to follow Christ, and again, all of a sudden, I could hear spiritually and I could see spiritually. Um, Keith Green says it's like waking up from the longest dream. How real it seemed, everything, until your love broke through. I was lost in a fantasy until your love broke through. When God's love broke through in my life, I remember I could see sin, I remember I could discern between right and wrong very clearly. I remember a hunger for God's word. Um, I remember great conviction. I felt so guilty over my sin over and over. I, I was shocked by my sin. All of these things, I had desired to walk with Jesus, and I immediately started to follow him. I wasn't perfect. No way. Not even close. Um, I just knew I wanted to follow him with all of my life. Point number three, characteristic of a real disciple, they leave all to follow Jesus. So they left immediately, but they also left all. They leave their business. They don't check with their family first. They don't check their bank account. They just up and go. They follow Jesus now, no questions asked. And this is kind of bizarre. If your trade is fishing, and that's what your dad did, and he gave it to you or you ran the farm, Literally, it's just like, okay, um, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to go follow Jesus. And it's like, what are you going to do for work? Where are you going to get money? What are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know, but I want to follow that guy. And obviously, we are not the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus. Uh, That was their calling um, to leave all and follow him. But there is spiritual application here in that we leave all in our lives and make it secondary to make him number one. Work is number two. Um, even family is number two, even, um, you know, success or the pursuit of money or the pursuit of whatever is number two, Jesus is number one. And when we make Jesus number one, we make loving God number one in our life. We love people number two perfectly. We do it very well. We do it a lot better. Um, we can't do number two without doing number one. We work better when we do number one better. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of or added to you. Um, You don't have to worry about work. You don't have to worry about your needs. You don't have to worry about provision. You know that God's going to take care of you and you got to put God first in your life. And that's what these guys did. Obviously, again, they were called to literally leave every single thing behind them and to follow Jesus. Jesus makes this point um, in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. He says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, okay, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I don't have a home. So if you want to follow me, you're following me to not have a home in the future. To another, 
he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. He says, you know, I kind of take care of my dad. I take care of my parents. And I want to follow you, Jesus, but I got to go uh, take care of my dad first. And when I get done with that in life, then I'll follow you. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's shocking. Again, we, we think of Jesus as this nice guy and he kind of says sharp things. Go let the dead bury the dead and you just need to go and start proclaiming the kingdom of God. Don't worry about your father. God will take care of that. You need to start proclaiming the kingdom. Make that number one. Verse 61 says, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's like, look, if, if, if you're trying to make the kingdom of God second in your life or an option to your life, I got all this going on and Jesus is a part of it. I got all this going on and the kingdom is an option. Jesus says, I'm sorry. This is life. The kingdom of God is life and following me and walking with me. Everything else is an option. Everything else is secondary. And that doesn't mean that we... Um, treat people badly or are actually go on hating people for that would contradict the scriptures. But it would almost be Jesus says, if you do not hate your mother and father for my sake, you have no part with me. What he's saying is to hate the family or to turn away from the business or to turn away from life and to turn to me is to make Jesus and the kingdom of God and your love for God so much number one that in comparison, it almost seems as if Wow, do you not have a care for anything else? Why are you so radical about the things of God? Why is that relationship and doing what he wants so important in your life? And sometimes people on the outside will say, you don't even, you don't have as, as much time for me or the business or success or money as we think you should have. It should be here in your life. And you know, the religion thing, just put it over there in the corner. Jesus says, no, I want reversal. And I found in my life that the more that I put God first, the more that all these other things work out actually really great. Business works, family works, marriage works, all these other things fall in line under the context of God being number one. That is what Jesus is saying. They left everything to follow Jesus. Number four, they became fishers of men. Fourth characteristic of a real disciple is they became fishers of men. They make it their life's mission to fish for men for the Lord Jesus and to make disciples for him, calling people to repentance, spreading the good news of the gospel to the whole world. This is their new mission in life. And I'm telling you that when we come to the Lord Jesus and we become Christians, disciples of him, our new number one mission in life is to make disciples. It is to minister the gospel to those in your family. Minister the gospel to your friends. Minister the gospel to your neighbors. Minister the gospel to everyone around you and to make disciples and to teach them the commands of Christ. This is number one. Matthew 28 verse 19, go therefore. He said to his boys, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I commanded you. I know it seems like a big task, Jesus said, but don't worry, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm going to help you do this. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you. Mark 16 verse 15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is our job. This is our mission. Acts 20:24. 20, Paul says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. What a beautiful verse. That is our life. That is our mission. This is what a real disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. That sounds radical. I know. It is. That's exactly who he has called us to be in this New Testament time of the age. Yes, love God. Love people. How? By ministering the gospel to them. Go into the world and proclaim it. Walk in obedience with the Lord and then enjoy the earth given to you. Enjoy this time on the earth given to you by God. This is Jesus' worldview. Um, the New Testament Christians were not radical. They were Christians. That's it. They were just Christians. They were the real deal. 
oh, how we need this flakiness, lukewarmness of Christianity to fade away and for those to become bold, outspoken, living out the good news of Christ again in our culture. Look at Jesus' ministry and church in the Galilee. Look at what he did. And this would be our final point. Look at verses 23 to 25. And he went out throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various disease and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Point number three, and finally, Jesus is the people's champion. Jesus did two things. In his ministry, over and over and over and over and over again. What's Jesus' ministry? Are you ready? He preached the gospel to heal the heart. Preached the gospel to heal the heart. He walked from town to town, talking with the people, going into the synagogues, and he preached the gospel to heal the heart. We are to be doing this. And number two, he healed the sick to prove his authority. The miracle signs and wonders and the healing was to prove his authority and authenticity that that he was truly from heaven and had power that no one else had on earth. He went from hospital bed to deathbed to leper camp, And healed the people. He touched people that no one would touch. And I love this. This is our king. He is the people's champion. He went where no one would go. He'd be down in Skid Row. He'd be touching those people and healing them. Nobody wants to go down there. Nobody wants to deal with these dirty people. He went to them. He went to the outcasts. He went to the places that nobody would go. Sin has broken the human race, and Jesus is the healer. Healer of sin, healer of life, yes, even healer of disease. Because we think so practically about healing in this day and age, we forget that God still heals people today to declare His power, that He is the Savior. Yes, it's to point back to Him again. It's to see the miracle of God again. Jesus told his disciples and told them, he said, you will do greater miracles than I ever did. What would that even be? Here it is. It's not doing signs and wonders and walking on water. Jesus clearly trumped us in all of the miracles. You're not going to do better than that. No one's walking on water. It ain't going to happen. But what we do see them doing is spreading the message of the gospel and watching it touch thousands and millions and millions of people. And that is the greater miracles that Jesus was talking about. The Holy Spirit coming upon them and the birth of the church taking place. But miracles, again, are still happening today. The church in the New Testament was instructed by the Apostle James to pray for healing. Who? Hey, church, pray for healing. James chapter 5, verse 14, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Notice, not the apostles, the elders of that church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Does God still work this way today? Yes. What's with the anointing of the oil anyways? Is something magical? Is it a little magic potion? Yes, Yes, this is olive oil from Israel, from the Holy Land. It has magic powers. No. It's just oil. Can you use it on your salad? Yes, you can. Can you rub down the barbecue before you put some chicken with some oil? Yeah, you can do that too. And then you can take that same oil and anoint a person with that oil. What is the purpose? It is a sign of the Holy Spirit of God coming and healing that person. It's not me. It's not anybody else praying. It is the Holy Spirit of God coming and healing that person if he so chooses to do so. What if God says no? That's okay. We just keep praying. God can say no anytime he wants to and I just keep praying. The reason I want to say this 
is that we need to be a people who are still believing that God is supernaturally working on the earth. He does it every day in raising people from death to life spiritually. Surely he can heal us from a sickness. Surely he can do miracles in our lives and blow our minds by providing for us or taking care of us in this way. Or somebody comes and says something to us and absolutely blows our minds. It was at the perfect time and the perfect place and, and it really ministers deeply to you. You never know what God is up to behind the scenes, but he's still working. We should look to God to save us from all sin in life, temptation, broken relationships, financial hardship, disease and pain, and most important, a sinful, hardened heart. All of these miracles, Jesus went through the towns and did all of these miracles. And I want to see him keep doing it today in our church. I want to see him do it in our church family. Family, I would encourage you to pray for God, to do works and things in your life that are beyond possible, that seem that they could not happen. Uh, One for me is providing for us a building. It literally seems like an impossible task in this day and age, in this time, in this season. But man, we're just going to keep praying. We're going to keep asking, Lord, would you open those doors? Would you give us that place? I want to believe that God is working in our marriages Maybe you're having hardship. You're having a really rough time in this season, especially with everybody being at home, all the crazy stuff going on. You're just believing that God would have bring breakthrough in your marriage with just unbelievable grace and forgiveness and kindness and gentleness towards each other like it was once before. You've been praying for it. Lord, please, please work in my spouse. Please work in me. And then boom, all of a sudden there's this little explosion, this little miracle that happens and you see it in your spouse. You're like, oh my The Lord's working. There's a miracle there. There's real forgiveness, real reconciliation, and a beautiful season in your marriage that you you honestly didn't think could happen again. Maybe in your family, maybe with your kids, maybe in your work, maybe in in your health. Trusting God, trusting God with these things, trusting that Christ is still moving through the towns, ministering his gospel of the kingdom, ministering right where they're at. Jesus the real people's champion. Ezekiel, the prophet, chapter 36, verse 26, said this, God speaking, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Praise God. The transformation of the heart. Oh, how we need to be healed there first. Luke 5, verse 30, the Pharisees, come in contact with Jesus. And the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What are you doing with the average Joe? And Jesus answered them and said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm sorry. The healthy don't need a doctor. It is the sick who need a doctor. And that is who Jesus went to. I pray that this would change our heart and give us hearts of compassion and empathy for those who are we called to go to? Who is the sinner amongst us? Who is the broken? Who is the tax collector? Who is the prostitute? Who are the thieves? Who are the ones that Christ is calling us to go to? So often we want to minister to the rich. We want to minister to the powerful. We want to minister to those with status. Jesus would say, you know, we got some humbling to do there before the gospel is going to reach them. Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to, we're going to get you eating grass, okay? And then we'll uh, change the heart. God says, look around you. There's people broken who need Christ. They need salvation. They are, the fields are ripe for harvest. They need a relationship with God. One of the church fathers wrote in AD 381, Gregory of Nazareth, Nazarenus. I don't know how to say that exactly, but this guy Gregory wrote this fantastic poem. I wanted you to hear it. It says, he began his ministry by being hungry, yet he is the bread of life. Jesus ended his earthly ministry by being thirsty, yet he is the living water. Jesus was weary, yet he is our rest. Jesus paid tribute, yet he is our king. Jesus was accused of having a demon, yet he cast out demons. Jesus wept, yet he wipes away our tears. 
Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he redeemed the world by paying for it with his own blood. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. Jesus died, yet by his death he destroyed the power of death. Jesus a very, lived a very simple life, very, very simple, very, very basic with the average Joe, yet he did absolutely extraordinary things. And I believe we are called to live similar lives. He's asking us to live amongst the people. Jesus is the people's champion. We have the answer. We are to go in the crowds, be with the sheep, be amongst the people, and just minister. Love them and serve them for Christ's glory. This is a real disciple. This is what he called his boys to do, and this is what he's called us to do. Jesus is not a crutch to lean on. He is the whole hospital. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is the people's champion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son Jesus to the earth really to give us an example of what it looks like to live in this world. He didn't come in a gold chariot. He didn't teleport down on the clouds. Lord, he came and was born to the lowly. Lord, he worked a blue-collar job. He was amongst the average people, and they knew him. And they were in awe that he, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, would spend so much time with them. Father, I pray that you would put this heart in us. I pray that you would put this spirit in us. We thank you that you have chosen the foolish things of this world just to blow away the minds of the wise, or those who think they're wise, those who think they're powerful. You use the simple, Lord, you use the lowly, you use the poor, you use people just like us. We ask, Father, that you would use us this week. We ask, Lord, that as we come in close relationship with you, it would transform the relationships around us. We ask, Lord, that you would humble us, that you would bring our hearts low. The broken and contrite spirit would come forth so we can be in deeper relationship with you. Father, change us, give us ears to ear, eyes to see a life worthy of you. God, we pray that we be new creatures in you, leaving all behind to follow after you. You are number one. We love ourselves. We commit ourselves to you now. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today, family. Thank you for continuing to Sunday after Sunday, come and worship, study God's word together, be encouraged and built up. I hope you're blessed by today's sermon and time together. I want to encourage you to please gather if you can. Please hit up some friends and find way to get fellowship. We're working on it, trying to figure out how to get the church back together. Family, may the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May he be gracious unto you and give you peace. And I pray that God would continue to refine you into more of a real disciple for his glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.